Welcome to WCSU 411, a podcast about interesting people and achievements at Western Connecticut State University. I'm Paul Steinmetz, and today on the Midtown campus in the basement of Whitehall, we will hear from three Danbury people who knew Marian Anderson. Now, WestCon is going to celebrate the 121st anniversary of Marian Anderson's birthday on February 27th in the Visual and Performing Arts Center. Uh, and as we have been planning the birthday party, we realized that a lot of people don't know who Marian Anderson is. She was an important national figure for a couple of reasons. She was a great opera singer with one of the most beautiful voices people had heard. She was also an icon of the civil rights movement. In 1939, she was arranging to sing in Constitution Hall in Washington, D.C. But the daughters of the American Revolution, who owned the hall, would not let her perform. Marian Anderson was black, and the daughters had a whites-only policy. Many people were outraged when they found out about it, including First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt. And on Easter Sunday, Marian Anderson performed a concert at the Lincoln Memorial. 80,000 people attended on the mall, and millions listened on the radio. Later, near the end of her career, Marian Anderson moved to Danbury with her husband and lived here quietly and evidently with much grace for nearly 50 years. Today on our podcast, we hear from Chris Farrell, who tuned the Anderson piano, Sam Hyman, who was a friend of hers, and Jay Weiner, who was the physician for Marian Anderson's husband. We start with Chris Farrell. We're here with Chris Farrell. We happen to be recording in the new uh, Visual and Performing Arts Center in the Music Auditorium, which is a great space. And uh, Chris works here uh, keeping all the pianos in shape. Is that right, Chris? Yes, we have about 35 pianos and the two concert grants here in the hall. I do spend a lot of my time here. Mm -hmm. And that is your connection to Marian Anderson, too, because she had a piano. Yes, when I first started tuning, I worked with Buzade Music, which is here on Lake Avenue back in the 1980s. For about 10 years, I took care of all their outside calls. And Marian Anderson was in the community and knew his mother, who was also a singer, and his father was a very accomplished pianist and organist. So. You know, through the pian local piano store, I was uh, assigned to go out and tune for Marian Anderson back in the 80s. I don't recall what year, but it, it was a good 30, 35 years ago. And I did that for a couple of years. So there's, it's interesting that uh, there was this, all this musical connection going around, too, with people who sang and played the organ and played the piano. I don't know that it's quite as the same as it was then, right? Would you say? I would agree. The, the piano has kind of seen its golden day where everybody had to have one in their home and it's the, the competition for everybody's attention and entertainment hours has shifted a bit, but there's still quite a, a large acoustic musical community. So we're not as present as it once was, but certainly still active. And of course, Marian Anderson had a, was it a grand piano in her studio there? Well, it was in her house. I don't, I don't know if it was her really her studio or her home, but it was a Steinway B, which is a seven foot semi-concert grand. And um, I do have some 
vivid recollections of going there because it immediately became apparent I was in a sort of a juxtaposition of, of two worlds in that it was very simple, I would say modest home and um, rather ordinary, could be your grandmother's. And at the same time, the piano was covered with all Marian Anderson's awards, which were rather extensive. Um, I'm used to clearing photos off, but I'm not used to clearing uh, presidential medals and United Nations awards and the various humanitarian awards that she had, which were, you know, put me at, at in awe of where I was in the moment at the time. Mm -hmm. And she did have all those. Uh... She was quite uh, recognized and accomplished. It was really something. So do you think she played the piano or what was the setup there? Well, at th this point, she was quite elderly. And although she was there, I never met her personally. Uh, she was in the very next room because there was an aide or a housekeeper who, who um, let me in and, and took me to the piano. And I cleared off all the awards and tuned the piano. But it was really um, not played every day at that point in her life. I think she had retired and um, she didn't come out and greet me. But, you know, after, of course, after I tuned the piano, I always play a little something rather simple. And she was very kind to, with the check, send me uh, um, that she enjoyed, a message that she enjoyed my playing. So it was rather nice, even though rather unremarkable. Mm -hmm. But as you say, it was a kind of touching, a touch with uh, greatness or grandness uh, that we don't usually, most of us don't get to see. Get a, no, I consider myself fortunate. And, and even over the years, I've tuned for a lot of celebrities, if you would. Um, and one time somebody asked me, what, who is the most famous person you ever tuned for? And without any hesitation, I said, Marian Anderson. And they kind of looked at me in a puzzled way, like, who? But, you know, it's not the pop world. It's not the uh, world we're used to seeing flash on the screen. This was a true artist known throughout the world mm -hmm. and will be known throughout time. Right. And really had a mark, made a mark on the world, uh, not just through her music, but her actions, too. Right. I agree. I have read her her autobiography twice out of just personal interest over the years. I, I read up on people. And the one thing that I chuckled about was that her accompanist had to learn how to tune pianos just to, when they'd arrive at the various venues where she performed. They never knew what they were going to get. Um, it's not like a violin where you bring your own. So we, we uh, the technicians do our job best we can, but it's a tough Thing to go and play a piano and hope for the best every time. Right. So he had to tune his own piano. He had to be prepared. He learned enough about it to, to you know, put out fires. That's interesting. I gather that she had the same accompanist every place she went. Uh, two or three over the course of her career, but uh, they would stay together for long periods. Good. I think that's good. Um, here's another question. You might not have an answer for this, but I want to ask this of everyone we're talking to for this project. Who was Marian Anderson? Well, Marian Anderson was 
she had a voice that was, the, 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 the saying was, came about once a century. So she had a gift. And her gift of her voice, she recognized, and her community recognized and supported her from a very young age. They would pass the hat to get her lessons, and they'd pass the hat to send her to school. And she was aware of that responsibility of her um, gift and her um, opportunity to bring a message to the world through her voice, and she did that. So I think she was a great artist and a great humanitarian. Thank you. Now we have Sam Hyman. Sam and his wife knew Marian Anderson way back when and had many interactions with her as a friend in Danbury. I'm here with Sam Hyman now, and uh, Mr. Hyman uh, has been in Danbury for a long time, and uh, during the same era that uh, Marian Anderson was, how did you know her otherwise? How did you become well, a friend? Well, we, I, I think the first time I would have met her would have been an NAACP function, a fundraiser uh, at her house, and uh, she hosted a I'm going to call it a tea, it could have been something else, but it, it was uh, to benefit the local NAACP. And I was not the president of the local branch, but I was an officer in the branch, and the branch was uh, hosting or was sponsoring that, and she and her husband agreed to host that affair. So that would have been the first uh, time that I would have uh, met her. Uh, later on, because they did live in the community, both she and her husband, and there were members of the uh, church that I would attend from time to time, New Hope Baptist Church. So I would see them there. And uh, you would always see her in the supermarket and places like that. Did you go up and say hi to her every always. time? Always. I mean, she would say hi first. I mm -hmm. mean, it wasn't, uh, she was not shy about, although she was a shy woman, she was not a, shy at all about uh, who she was and, and what she was never pretense, uh, uh, pretended to be anything other than just a fine human being. So she would uh, very graciously acknowledge people, you know, and would reach out to people. So if you didn't know about her past, and she was still working then at that time uh, and uh, making records and touring, uh, you wouldn't have known that she was a world-famous no, person. I don't think she would go out of the way, and I don't think the town went out of its way, and that was by design also. They moved here, I'm going to say from New York and Philadelphia, and they wanted to live here, and uh, they did not want the, everything to, uh, you know, uh, revolve around them. So uh, it was, uh, they were just normal, ordinary people, and that's the way I think they wanted it here. The husband was more outgoing, and he was on the uh, executive committee of the NAACP at the time, and I was on the uh, executive committee of the NAACP, and he was more outgoing than she. The, I've read that although she was a civil rights icon because of the concert mm -hmm. she gave at Lincoln, uh, the Lincoln Memorial, that she was uh, not maybe reticent about talking about her role and um, and civil rights in America. Did you find, did you talk to her about that or did, how did that? I'm not sure that, no, we did not. And I'm not sure that that was by design or just her personality. You know, uh, again, uh, she was uh, 
just an ordinary kind of a person. And again, in this community, her husband was more involved locally, as I mentioned, in the NAACP and nationally than she. So it would have been him, you know, who had been in the forefront of that. Do you think, so did you feel like they were accepted in the community and people accepted them as um, good neighbors and all that? Well, I'm not sure <laughs> if all of the community did that. Um, they lived uh, at Joe's Hill, and that was sort of on the border, New York border, and uh, where their home was. And uh, I think that the community that she would be involved in, both of them, did accept them. I'm not sure they went out of their way, you know, to let people know that uh, the Andersons live here. I don't think they were the, the kind of people at all. But people knew that they were here, you know, and I think most people would greet them pretty much the way that I would greet them. Hello, how are you doing? How's the da da da? You know, uh, they, they never made a big thing of it, and I don't think the people of Danbury made a big thing of it. So they felt comfortable, it sounds like. Assuming that they felt as comfortable as they could in a community like Danbury. Mm -hmm. Now, I read that they ended up in Danbury after searching all around through Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, looking for homes, and often they would um, be interested in a home, and then the owners or the neighborhood would find out that they were black, and would, the whole thing would uh, go out the window because they, the owners wouldn't sell to black people. And, but it worked out here in Danbury. I'm not sure exactly how it worked out here in Danbury, and I've heard uh, uh, people talking about that, not from them, but I believe that they bought the property adjacent to their property in order to own their property, so that if people who, you know, uh, did not want to live close by them, uh, you know, it was easier for them, they could afford it, obviously, but to avoid that, then you'll buy all the adjacent properties around you so that takes care of that particular issue. But they did that, from what I understand, is because of the, the fact that uh, this city was far from being an open city, you know, uh, most gracious city at that particular time. Mm -hmm. there, were, there were pockets where black people lived and other people lived, and black people need not apply whether they could afford it or not. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting they ended up here in Danbury, and I assume yeah. it's because um, um, uh, you know, they, they got the, were able to find the property, it was a good place to live, and um, it was, but they could have ended up anywhere and being in the same situation, buy the property around their house and that. You think so? Well, and remember Connecticut is uh, right in New York City, mm -hmm. so it's an hour and some change and you're where she's working, so it would be convenient for people who prefer not to live in a big city like New York to live in Danbury. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's just interesting that, uh, you know, somebody who's so renowned uh, and famous and accepted at, you know, all the highest levels still um, had to contend with that, with, with racism as a, uh, uh, just like you did and everybody in the uh, African-American community did, it does, and um, that it, um, uh, that is so powerful no matter who you, what you've done. Well, the racism did did not have any boundaries, and uh, we're breaking down some of those uh, 
boundaries, but uh, it didn't matter, you know, what your station in life was. It didn't matter how popular you were, uh, how famous you were. If you were African American, that's how you were treated, particularly in terms of where you would go for accommodations, be it stores or restaurants, uh, particularly in housing. And again, it was this town, when I came to this town, which was the early 60s, uh, you know, I'm, this is what I'm finding. And it wasn't until much later, the civil rights laws that changed where people could buy rent and so forth, that those things would change. But uh, Danbury, uh, where she's living in that area, on Hat Ridge and places like that, uh, black people were not living there and they could not live there, regardless of whether or not they could afford it. Mm -hmm. So there were no difference. I mean, being famous doesn't, didn't change that. Right. Now, before you met her, you knew who she was, isn't that right? And uh, that oh, she was, yeah. and, and, um, uh, and I ask that because now, if you go out and ask these uh, students out in the uh, auditorium or the lobby or um, uh, go downtown and ask people, they say, okay, Marian Anderson, who was that again? <laughs> Which surprises me because, um, I don't know, she, was, she did something that was unique and um, uh, I thought was still in the uh, public consciousness. Um, you, you're, you're right. I think that when people were then, uh, when they were famous, particularly if there are few of those, you know, in, the, in a particular community, this being in the black community, it would stand out. I would stand out. Jackie Robinson, who lived in the state of Connecticut in Stanford, and he was sort of the first black to be living in the communities that he was living in also. So it was the same kind of a situation. You know, he could afford it, very famous. I think Jackie Robinson may have been more famous for young people to know who he is opposed to who Marian Anderson was. But they're all treated pretty much the same way because their famous really didn't mean very much, you know, uh, in terms of the conditions here. But young people today, I'm not sure that they know a lot about uh, even contemporary situations. Uh, one thing I am asking of all, everybody that we talk to about Marian Anderson, I want to ask this question of you. Who was Marian Anderson? Besides being a a, a professional famous thing if you're questioning about the person and I that's how I knew her you know as a person it was a very kind gentle uh, woman a uh, woman who could sort of walk through life unless you were looking for her or knew about her you would not necessarily know that she was there she was not someone who would force her popularity uh, you know on anyone or her presence on anyone uh, she got along very well with people. She was very, very, very polite. Very, very polite kind of a human being. A loving kind of a human being as well. And she shot for her own groceries too. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah, sure, sure. And I think that, again, that's uh, sure she could very well afford and to have the housekeeper, someone doing that. But uh, that was who she was. I mean, if I have to go out to the store or go, she would do it herself, you know. She made, she would not make a point that she was Marian Anderson. It's very interesting. Is there anything else we should know about her? 
I would hope that we, we spoke of the younger generation. I would hope that all generations would get to know, would embrace, you know, who she was because she was an important person to our society, not only in civil rights, but in all aspects of life. And I just hope that the memory, the name, what she has accomplished would live, live long after WestCon is gone. Now we bring in Jay Weiner. Dr. Weiner was a physician for Marian Anderson's husband and had many interactions with both of them. So I'm here with Dr. Jay Weiner, longtime Danbury resident and physician, worked at Danbury Hospital for a long time and in the city. And as it happened, Jay, you were a, the physician for Marian Anderson's husband, as I understand it. In his later years, that is correct. They lived on Joe's Hill Road and I, he, he was quite invalided and I used to take care of him at his home. What was his name? I think it was Ozzie Fisher. It's a long time. Over mm -hmm. probably 35 to 40 years ago, so but I think that was his name. Yes, I, I think his full name was Alfonso, so or something like that. So I wanted to know if he went by this full, that formal name or something uh, less formal. So you treated him up at their house on Josiel? Right. Correct. Uh, I remember when she was interviewing me, she said, Will you come if I call you? I said, If you give me a bone. But the thing I remember most about her was that she was so kind to him and so solicitous and so caring. And I never forgot that. I forgot just about everything else about that because it was so long ago. But her, her relationship with him was very clear and beautiful. Was he much older than she was? I'm not sure. Did he, or did he just uh, get uh, fall ill before? Uh, well, he, when I got to see him, he was in bed. He was invalided. I'm not even sure today what it, why. It was so long ago, but uh, I don't know. I, I didn't get a real feeling that they were very much different in age, but I can't be sure. Now, before she called you and interviewed you, you, uh, of course, knew who she was. Uh, she was always an icon in our family, and we talked about the 1938 Washington Memorial Concert, and uh, she was one of the few singers that I knew about, opera singers that I knew about growing up. And so talk about that. Why was she an icon in your family? Well, because we, there were people in my family who were politically active, and as you know, she was barred from using a hall in Washington that was controlled by the DAR and gave a concert for 50,000 people at the Washington Memorial, uh, which was engineered by Eleanor Roosevelt. So that among, I guess you would say, liberal circles, she was in fact an icon. And uh, we, we were actually introduced to her great voice through, through the political issues. And when I heard her sing, I, you know, I got her CDs and records and so forth. Uh, so at the time in 1938, you were young. I was three years old. Yes. This was quite after the fact. You know. <laughs> so your family, though, and the community that your family 
traveled in was still uh, talking about her and viewing her uh, in very high esteem. Oh, yes. She was famous back then. She was very famous back then. If my family knew an opera singer, she was famous. <laughs> but they probably knew her first because of the uh, Lincoln Memorial Concert. Right, right? exactly. And do you think about her now as, uh, you know, and you're, uh, you're still politically active and uh, um, uh, uh, intellectually active, so do you think about what she did and, and how it changed things in the United States? Well, I wish it had changed things a little more than it seemed to have at the time. Everybody thinks that a signal event like that will affect a large change. It doesn't happen. But I, over the years, I, I've had her... Uh, CDs and I play them from time to time because her voice is phenomenal, mm -hmm. phenomenal. Did you ever get a chance to talk to her about her career? No, no. As a matter of fact, when, when all this came up lately, I, I said to my wife, you know, I never even a I never asked her for an autograph, I never asked for a picture, and looking back, I was proud of myself because I thought it was very professional. That I was there for one purpose and I didn't want to mix the two. Of course, now I'm saying, why didn't I get her autographs? I never did, no. Her, as I understand it, her husband was a pretty famous architect, too. That I don't know. I didn't know that at the time. Mm -hmm. Did you cross paths with them at other times in the community? No. No, that was, our made, that was really our interface. Mm-hmm. So we're asking a couple of questions of everybody, the same question that we interview. One is, why should people remember Marian Anderson now? For two reasons. One, obviously political, that, that she stood up to some very, very hard-driving prejudice and had 50,000 people turn out to hear her sing. And the second is that there are very few singers that are as good as she is, as good as she was, even today. I'm not a musician, so can you describe her voice, what was unique about her voice? Oh, she had a powerful contralto voice, and, it was, and she had an amazing range. And she sang a lot of spirituals beautifully, as well as classical opera. I do believe she sang for the Met, but I think she was 53 years old or something like that when she started singing, so her career was attenuated. Mm -hmm. Here's a little bit different take on that question. Um, who was Marian Anderson to you? Marian Anderson to me was a woman of color who came from modest means, who had a voice that could strike anybody in the world as brilliant, and who was lucky enough to be heard because of Eleanor Roosevelt, and went on to have a career and, and a significant influence, I think, in her time and after. So, Barbara, we're uh, here talking about events at the end of this podcast that talked about Marian Anderson. Mm -hmm. 
Do you know who Marian Anderson is? I don't. I should have listened to you. You'll have to listen to the podcast. (laughs) That's good. We'll leave it at that. And uh, what's going on this week? A lot, actually. Um, So it's Valentine's Day. It's Valentine's Day week. Um, And actually, PAC had a Stuff a Plush event for uh, last week, but it got canceled because it's snow day. And so they rescheduled to February 14th, uh, which is Valentine's Day. Um, and it's at the same time. So um, Midtown Student Center Lobby, 12.30 p.m. And Westside Campus Center at 7.30 p.m. And it's just free plushies. So you can stuff a f- plush with your uh, sweetheart then. Yeah, or stuff it for your sweetheart. And yeah. it's free. So when there's, you don't even have to go out and buy anything. There's a lot of guys <laughs> who are going to be there on yeah. <laughs> Wednesday. It's like the perfect thing. Right. Um, but I'm sure there's like other students that are doing or other clubs and stuff that are doing Valentine's Day events like but they're probably selling them so it's kind of crappy <laughs> they're just yeah. like hey come over here it's free <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if, if it's anything like any other pack event like it's going to be gone in like two seconds I tried getting a hat like the little hat uh, I forget what it's called like the little um, with the little plush thing on top Beanie. Little, the beanie, like a, a ball beanie thing, like whatever it's called. I tried getting one of those, and I just, no. Like, I walked up, and they're like, yeah, we're done. And wow. everyone around them had one on, and I was like, <laughs> wow, this is so terrible. Like, <laughs> I really wanted one. You'll have to stand in line beforehand, then. Yeah. I'm going to have to, like, get my connects and pack and be like, hey, get me one. <laughs> um, okay, so some other stuff that's happening is that uh, on the 14th as well, there's an 11 a.m. a snack on pack. So there's a snack on pack. <laughs> on the 14th? <laughs> yeah, wow. that, that too. Um, you can like eat and stuff on, snack and stuff on yeah. Valentine's Day. So you're not hungry. So it's a date. Look at them. Like, at least, day. like, you know, you save a few bucks because you don't have to get a present. And so you, oh, maybe I'll buy something to eat. And now it's like, nah, you can you can just eat with us. They're so Con, giving. Yeah, pack thinks about you, Westcon. Yeah. Pack cares, hashtag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, then the 15th, there's a 6 p.m. bingo. Um, on the 13th, there's Matt Schulner, Schuller, and he's, I think I talked about this last week at 9 p.m. He's uh, the voice. He, like, was on The Voice, and he's going to be at WestCon. So that's cool. Um, and then also, Do you know who won The Voice competition last year? I don't. I don't watch The Voice. Mm-hmm. I watch, like, America's Got Talent. Uh, you know, we watched it at home um, all the way to the last episode, and then for some reason we didn't watch it, so we don't know who won. Oh my god! The voice that stinks. But just to talk about America's Got Talent for a second, last season I don't even know if they started a new season because I was so angry I don't even care. <laughs> but this girl that I mean I'm, I'm sure it's really hard to like. What's that thing called when like you have a little puppet and you speak ventriloquism? For them? Ventriloquism. She's very young and she sings with like little dolls and it looks obviously it looks like she's not talking but she's singing and it's really cool but there were other people on America's Got Talent like there was um Diavolo I don't know if you like Mm-mm. even like saw a video of them but they're like these dancers that use like these prop uh these props that are like they move them and they're huge and this guy named Diavolo like just does all of this cool architecture like and he does all the dances and stuff uh, he choreogra- choreographs them, and th- they're awesome. Like, I was so surprised when they left. And also, there was, it was like light balance or something. There was like 
it's like you turn the lights off and there's these guys like that have where they have like these uniforms with like lights all over them so it looks like it's just like a robot or something uh-huh. and they dance too and they were just amazing and there was okay there's a lot of them but there's a little girl too she was so tiny and cute and she had the best little voice ever and and the girl the ventriloquist with one. the puppet one <laughs> yeah i just don't understand and that was voted by, on by people, right? Not yeah, the judges. I was surprised. I mean, I didn't know. I mean, ventriloquism is hard. I, I can, I can, like, I can appreciate that. that. I, I know. Is it not that hard? No. <laughs> if I practice a little, I could definitely do it. <laughs> I feel like we're making like one or two ventriloquists on campus pretty bad right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, not making fun of ventriloquism, but I thought that dancing was much. Yeah. It's just cool. It was cool. So that was annoying. So I don't know. I'm mad at America's Got Talent right now. Yeah. But not gonna watch. And it. Simon Cowell is just such a baby now. Uh-huh. Like he's not even harsh. And so I. He isn't. No, he's no, just then like. Why watch him? Right. Like I used to watch American Idol. Uh-huh. Like when I was younger, obsessed with it. Like would so live for his comments and his right. terribleness. And now, like he's just like, oh, you know what? It's fine. Like I understand you. Or like he'll just be like, no, no. I'm wow. Good. And he could be like rude a little bit, but it's nothing compared to before. He's just a big softy now. So I don't like it. No. No reason to watch, for God's sakes. <laughs> Back on Valentine's Day. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, on the 15th, there's an 8 p.m. La La Land, too. And uh, these are all by, done by PAX. So if you go on PAX's Instagram, you can get more information about the specific events. Um, okay, and another thing actually done by the like Women's Center on campus is there's a free and confidential girl talk. Um, so it's it's in Whitehall in room 3A, and they meet once a week, uh, either Tuesdays or Wednesdays, and they want, like, um, so they want your input on, like, a time of, like, what, when they should meet and everything, but they can, you can RSVP your availability to them. Um, I'm just going to pull up a better flyer because there's not too much information, but it's, it's honestly, like, a really cool thing because, um, like, there's... Obviously, the Women's Center is, like, a huge thing. And there's so many women on campus. And some people don't feel comfortable enough to talk about their problems or anything that they're going through. So to have a Women's Center to, you know, speak, to have a group of women that support you and everything, it means a lot. The Women's Center is one of the best things on campus, no question about it. Okay, so I got the email. So they don't have, so that's their location where they meet and when. But they're, they're looking for, like, to take your availability so that it's just starting. So they want people to, like, tell them. So you can contact Sydney at um, trezas at wcsu.edu. So it's T-R-E-Z-Z-A-S at wcsu.edu. Um, and you have to RSVP by the 16th. Good. And so it's just a thing to talk, right, and share? Yeah, or, it's like girl um, talk. Yeah. But RSVP is required. Good. So it's like a support group for college women. Excellent. Very, very cool. Um, and then West Conrec, uh, I'm just going to go over their 2018 schedule really quick. So the, they had Midtown Colonial Fitness Center. Uh, it's open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. And then Saturdays from 2 to 8 and Sundays from 4 to 10. And then the West Side one is open Monday through Friday at the same time, 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. Saturdays, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And Sundays, 4 to 10 p.m. And then the pool, which... I don't think I don't know if we talked about this last time, but I've never been to the pool. Mm. Like I've I've been to the I've been there because they do like cardboard canoe, but I've never been inside it. So you should take advantage of that. So it's Monday through Thursday, eight thirty to ten thirty p.m. Friday and Saturday is closed, and Sunday from seven to ten. 
Yeah, they have lifeguards too, so you don't have to yeah, worry about it. Yeah, I actually have a lot of lifeguard friends there. Like, huh. I have friends that have been lifeguards and everything, and I just never go. And they're like, oh, come visit me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. And then I just never do. <laughs> I'm that friend. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, so CSI is also um, hiring 2018 orientation leaders. Uh, they'll The orientation leaders will help incoming students with their transition to WCSU or WestCon <laughs> and develop lasting relationships with peers and professionals. And they're shared. They're gonna share their their Westcon spirit. Um, so basically, like if you're an outgoing person, you like you know going out there and helping people. It's really cool. It honestly, um, I haven't done it, but a lot of the student, the uh, Senate members have done it, and they love it. Like they said, they still like when Ryan Hawley, the VPIA, he was an orientation leader, and he still says that he like sees his orientees like walking around, and they're like, oh hey Ryan, what's up? So it's like. You're a good, like, support system for them, and, like, it's good to have, like, new little friends and everything, just in case they need you, you know, people. Is that what you refer to the first-year students as, your little friends? <laughs> yeah. yeah, little friends. <laughs> wow, that's kind of mean. Um, they're, they're friends, you know, new, new, new students. Yeah, it's great for them, the first-year students, to um, recognize people on campus. Yeah, exactly. That's like the really big point of it, and to, just to help their transition mm-hmm. and to make it easier for them. Because obviously, college is like it's a huge thing for people coming in from high school and stuff, mm-hmm. or even transfer students. Like, there's uh, orientation for that, and it's really important, especially the people that are um, the orient orientation leaders. A lot of the time, they're really involved on campus, so it's really good to like get their input on things as well. I was thinking of doing it, and then I found out. Well, it's a, it's a big commitment. So it's like it, you could either do like three sessions or two or one or something. I'm not completely sure. Um, and you do get paid for it. So you do get a stipend okay. at the end. If you do all three sessions, I think it's like over $1,000. Wow. So it's definitely worth it. But I found out that it was like three weeks or three weekends or something like that. And I just don't have the time. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. But you should definitely go to CSI, the CSI office in the student center for more information if you need it. It's for orientation next fall, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and if you don't know where the CSI office is, it's Midtown Student Center 227. And if you can't stop by there, you can always email studentlife at wcsu.edu. And the, there's obviously like a cutoff. So you, ha- you have to be, you have to turn in your application by February 15th. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to be available June 15th to the, June 21st and June 26th to June 27th. So those are the dates that you have to be available for if you want to be an orientation leader. But yeah, overall, it's a pretty cool experience, I've heard. Yeah, that's what I've heard too. Yeah, and I've done, I was thinking about it also because I did Peace Jam, and that was a really big thing, but it was like with middle schools, middle schools and like high schools. But it was still like you had like a little group and you were like the little leader of them and stuff, and like you brought them around. So that was really fun. And you met Lema Bowie too, right? Yeah, that was a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I almost took a selfie with her, but then this other guy cut me off and took a selfie with her first. So I just got a regular photo, but it's fine. Wow. <laughs> that wasn't very peaceful of him. She was a Nobel Peace Laureate yeah. uh, from um, Liberia. It was so And very cool, cool person. Yeah. Like listening to her story was insane. It was, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah. There's like underlying things with that too, but we won't get into it <laughs> <laughs> regarding SGA and funds and stuff. Yeah. But... No, uh, Lima Bowie is cool, so <laughs> that's the main point. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so there's also Wreck After Dark Pool Edition. It's Friday, February 23rd, the Westside O'Neill Center Pool 
at 8 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. So you compete in three versus three shallow end pool basketball tournaments. Um, and you show off your best dives or warm up with some hot chocolate. So anybody can go there, even if you don't swim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you register, you register if you, obviously they want you to register before, but, it, but you can register at the day of the pool. Um, the, the day at the pool. <laughs> the day of the pool. <laughs> Jesus. Um, and then a gift card is awarded to the winning team. So that's pretty cool, too. Um, and then lastly, there's Chuck's dodgeball, dodgeball tournament. Dodgeball. <laughs> what if you do- that would wow dodge dodgeball with bowling balls? Wow, that's terrible. First, you'd have to be strong, and you'd have to stand really close to each other. <laughs> yeah. You look at concussions like left and right. Yeah. Wow, that's. <laughs> I I'm watching Vampire Diaries right now. I'm just getting off on a bunch of tangents because mm-hmm. I'm just my mind is everywhere. I'm very scatterbrained. I think we spoke about before. But I could totally imagine like vampires playing with bowling balls, like dodgeballs, and they just like rip each other's head off. Yeah, because they are strong, right? Aren't yeah. they? Su- they're hum- like superhumanly strong. Yeah, they're super strong, and they're really fast too. So yeah. anyway. <laughs> All right, this got weird, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Chuck's dodgeball tournament. It's co-ed six on six, double elimination in the Berkshire gym, Saturday, February twenty fourth. And you check in at 1.30 p.m. and there's a 2 p.m. start. So that's really cool. If you want to dress up like a vampire, that'd be cool that'd too. That would be good, yeah. <laughs> but those are some of the events. There's obviously a lot more that you can find on the WOW um, email sent out and all over Instagram. If you look at SGA's page, WTSU underscore SGA, um, we put a lot of events up and we also are following a lot of um, the organizations on campus so you can easily find all the organizations instagrams under our followers page because most of our followers we only follow like uh, institutional pages and that kind of thing that's a great way to uh, keep up with everything right all yeah. in one place yeah it's really easy too because i have like the login for sga on my phone so i could just like go through it and look at everything but it's cool like we should create something like that too because then so, a student could just go in and see everything right but you could also just do it yourself and follow all of the pages mm-hmm. But I don't know if people want that on their personal Instagrams. That's the problem, right? But the university sends out a lot of emails to students and uh, they aren't open. Should we be doing uh, Instagram stuff instead? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Instagram's the way to be. All right. (laughs) We'll work on that. Maybe we'll uh, put you in an internship to show us how to do it. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) Like Instagram 101 for Barbara. (laughs) All right, Barbara, thanks a lot. And uh, we'll see you, we'll talk to you next time. All right, thanks, Paul. We'll wrap up with thank yous to producers Pete Puccio, and for this podcast especially, Scott Folpe, who handed me a couple of excellent questions as I was questioning our three guests. You might have heard when he handed me his cell phone with the questions typed in because I stuttered and paused and stamped my feet as I read the question to myself first. But they made the pod better, which is what a producer does. Remember, if you like what you've heard, please subscribe at WCSU Media on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher so you can stay up to date with all editions of WCSU 411. After you subscribe, leave a comment there or on Twitter at WCSU 411. Until next week, this is Paul Steinmetz and Barbara Viegas.